A reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. <clears throat> when you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and made a public example of them, triumph, triumphing over them. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Meditate, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. One of the four noble truths of Buddhism talks about the cause of suffering. The cause of our suffering, the Buddha said, is desire. But to me, at least, he meant something very specific by this. It's not that the Buddha discouraged people from pursuing their very basic desires or their natural human inclinations. For example, I love key lime pie. For me to desire a slice every now and then, this is not a sin. The path to hell is not paved with delicious slices of key lime pie. So if I respond to this craving, I'm not going to thwart my chances of enlightenment. But here's where my desire for key lime pie becomes a problem for me. So years ago, my lovely spouse and I took a trip to Captiva Island, Florida. And while we were there, we discovered a wonderful little restaurant on the island called Key Lime Bistro. And since the name of the place is Key Lime Bistro, we had to try the key lime pie, of course, to twist our arms, will you, right? <laughs> uh, 
But after just one bite of this pie, I knew that I was tasting the best, the best key lime pie in the entire universe. Like hands down, no debate. There's not even a close runner up to this pie. For me, it was love at first bite. That was a good one, wasn't it? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> they say that there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, the same is true of Key Lime Bistro. That place will make anybody a believer of the divine, right? Now, the problem is that the pie there is so good that it makes every other Key Lime pie taste bad in comparison. Have you ever experienced something like this? Like, that place has ruined me forever. Because now, if I eat a piece of key lime pie anywhere else, I instantly lament the fact that I'm basically eating garbage pie. <laughs> so nowadays, if I see key lime pie on the menu here in town, like, I don't even bother to order it. Because I know it's not going to live up to my expectations. Sure, you may think that your grandma's key lime pie recipe is the best recipe on the planet. But if you try to shovel a spoonful of it into my mouth at the next potluck, it's only going to make me wish that I was eating at Key Lime Bistro instead. So do us both a favor and just leave your grandmother's dumpster pie at home. Please and thank you. <laughs> now, I know I'm being a bit silly here. But in a small way, I really am causing myself to suffer because of my desire. And this wouldn't be such a big deal if this were the only area of my life where my desire causes me to want to be somewhere else, causes me to want to experience something else other than what I'm experiencing in the moment. The problem is that the way I feel about key lime pie is the same way that I feel about most everything else in life. Nothing ever seems to measure up to the expectations that I create for my life in my own head. This old house of mine is charming, but I would be so much happier in a newer house. This car of mine is nice and all, but I would be happier in a fancier, shinier, faster car. This job is okay, but I would be so much happier working for the company on the other side of town. And this body of mine, it's pretty healthy. But if I could just feel a little bit younger again, then I would be truly happy again. Wisconsin is nice, but I would be so much happier living in Illinois. Actually, nobody in their right mind thinks that way. I take that last one back. <laughs> the problem is that because of my constant desire for more, because my mind's default setting is set to experiential wanderlust, I spend a large portion of my time wishing I was somewhere else other than in this present moment. I'm driving my car. I don't want to be driving my car. I want to be home already. I'm brushing my teeth. I don't want to be brushing my teeth. I want to be in bed already, right? I'm at work. I don't want to be at work. I want to be at home watching Netflix. I'm preaching a sermon. I don't want to be preaching a sermon. I'd rather be on Captiva Island stuffing my face with pie right now. 
Instead of living my life to the fullest in the here and now, instead of engaging each and every second of my beautiful life with childlike wonder and awe, my mind is either reliving some sentimental feeling from my past or it's fantasizing about some possible future pleasure. And the problem is that the future is not quite here and the past is already gone. So I suffer because what my mind has a habit of circling back to, it constantly pulls my attention away from my experience of my life in the here and now. My friends, whenever we talk about things like meditation, contemplative prayer, mental stillness, or silent prayer, they're all the same thing in essence. We're not talking about another spiritual practice amongst other spiritual practices. No, meditation, contemplation, silent prayer, whatever you want to call it, it's not a practice to be engaged in as much as it is an awareness of the present moment to be cultivated. We're not trying to train our hearts or our, or our minds to do a certain thing. No, no, we're training our hearts and our minds to be a certain way, to see a certain way. It seems most people these days think meditation is like a form of escapism. But it's not about escaping your life at all. It's about waking up to your life. Like A lot of people think that meditation and contemplative prayer are all about creating a sort of vacuum in their minds where no thoughts can ever enter or pass through. Many people think the practice of meditation is all about emptying their head of all thinking. But meditation, contemplative prayer, it has nothing at all to do with this. It's about slowing down for long enough to become aware of the fact that you spend an awful lot of your life not actually being aware of your life. So when I urge you to practice contemplative prayer, to practice meditation, all that I'm inviting you to do is to name and to cultivate that equilibrium of soul, that balance, that centeredness that you have experienced in the past and that has brought you so much happiness. I'm not encouraging you to try something new even. I'm encouraging you to name and to cultivate something that you're already very familiar with, the natural state of your own soul. That feeling you get when you are just enamored, awestruck by a beautiful sunset. Or that feeling you get when you're resting in the warm embrace of your lover. Or that feeling you get when you're watching your children or your grandchildren gleefully playing on the floor. That feeling, that feeling that there is no better place to be than right here, right now. Meditation is the practice of having no better place to be, of simply letting your soul rest in the moment, in every moment of your life. For true happiness is the realization that this present moment 
it's enough for you. My friends, are we not happiest when we stop trying to control our lives, whenever we stop trying to play God with our fate, and we simply let life be whatever it's trying to be to us, with all of its beauty and all of its complexity? Are you not happiest when you let go of everybody else's expectations of you and you simply and unapologetically let yourself be who you are? You're happiest when you become what you are. You're happiest when you let this life be what it is. Meditation, contemplative prayer, it's all about learning how to desire nothing else other than this present moment. The reason why so many of us are so damn unhappy these days is because we spend so much time not being mentally or emotionally present to our lives. We're like spiritual sleepwalkers moving around, <laughs> but asleep on the inside, mentally, spiritually, right? And somebody might say to me, but Father, what you're describing here doesn't really describe me because I live in the moment. I know what it means to seize the day. Carpe diem. Seize the carp. <laughs> you do? Okay. Well, let me ask you this question, my friend. When you get home from church today, how long will it take before you decide to turn on your TV? To let the pictures and the sounds of an artificial world flood your mind with its fake reality. And how many moments will go by before you take your eyes off of the beauty of the sky, the beauty of the trees, the beauty of the blades of grass, and all of the beautiful faces around you, so that you can compulsively and mindlessly scroll through your phone or tablet? How long will it take before you engage in some mindless chore today? Not because the doing of the chore brings you great satisfaction, but because staying busy helps to distract you from that nagging, empty feeling that you still haven't figured out what to do with quite yet after all of these years. How much time will pass by before you try to combat your feelings of boredom and sadness with snacks and booze? Now, there's nothing wrong with TV or tablets or chores or snacks or alcohol. But do you engage these things mainly because they bring you great joy? Or have you just gotten into the habit of consuming these things because you know that they will distract you from all of the thoughts that you'd rather not be thinking right now and all of the emotions that you'd rather not be feeling right now? Do these things lead you into a deeper appreciation of your life? Or are you using them, even in some small way, to escape your life, to numb yourself to your life? Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, what does any of this have to do with God <laughs> or, or, or our readings from today? The answer is everything. 
How can you be aware of the immensity of God's presence in your life if you spend so little time actually being aware of your life? Speaking of which, did you happen to catch that incredibly radical paradigm-shifting thing that St. Paul said to you this morning? Or were you too busy thinking about something else while his letter was being read to you? In case you missed it, Paul told you that you have already come to the fullness of the divine. Past tense, it's already happened. He told you that you have not only been buried with Christ in baptism, but you have also risen with him, past tense. It has already happened. He told you that God has already made you fully alive with Christ, past tense. Already happened. You've already been fully forgiven by God. Fully forgiven by God already has already happened, past tense. The fullness of the kingdom has been given to you, the fullness of God has been given to you already, past tense, it's already happened. The fullness of your life, the fullness of your relationship with God is already yours. Paul told you that the only barrier, the only barrier between yourself and God, the only barrier between you, who you are now and who you want to be is the one that you have constructed in your own mind. See to it that no one takes you captive through shallow philosophy and empty deceit, he says. Another way of saying it, take a step back from cultural patterns and habits of thinking. Take your attention off of all of those flashy things that technocrats and marketers and CEOs want you to focus on and start putting your attention on your own heart instead and see what happens. Put down the device, turn off the TV or the Nintendo Switch for long enough to come back to your own body, to rediscover the blessed simplicity of silence. As one desert father has said, go into your cell or your room and it will teach you everything. In other words, find a space of silence. Return to it frequently and the silence will teach you everything. Not only will you discover that silence is God's native language, but you will also discover that silence is also your soul's native language. St. Paul says that you have already entered into the fullness of the kingdom, entered into the fullness of God's forgiveness, the fullness of God's shalom, the fullness of the divine presence. Don't just take his word for it. Go and find out for yourself. Wake up to it yourself.
for everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who meditates, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened.